0: In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Sam Wells, an Anglican priest and the author and the vicar of St. Martin's in the fields in Trafalgar Square, London, says that there are two mistakes we make in how we understand the story the Bible tells us. First, We think of the Bible as a one-act play in which all meaning is understood before the curtain comes down. I might suggest that many of us understand it as a two-act play, a Shakespearean play. The Old Testament sets up the need, and the New Testament resolves it. Either way, it creates a mindset in which the priority is the here and now that life is only about what we experience, without honoring our heritage and the contributions of our past to our present and to our future. Instead of a one-act play or even a two-act play, Wells suggests that the Bible is a five-act play. The first act is creation in the beginning. The second act is Israel. The covenant God establishes with Abraham, followed by the love story of God and his chosen people, acted out in what we call the Old Testament. Act three is Jesus, the very center of the drama. It is the encounter of the divine with humanity and the ultimate work of salvation. Act four is us, the church. The church receives the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and begins to live into her call of partnership with God in the building up of the kingdom. And Act 5 is the final act. It is the end. We call it the apocalypse, the second coming, when Christ the King will return and restore all things to their perfection. So if the first thing that we get wrong is the number of acts in the play, the second thing we get wrong is which act we are currently in. Most of us believe we are living in the end times. Hollywood has made a fortune capitalizing off that belief. Not only is one of the primary types of the thriller genre apocalyptic, We have now moved into the post-apocalyptic imagination that describes the way the world looks when the end times cometh and a few of us survive. Spoiler alert, it's never pretty. The apocalyptic genre is not new. The book of the prophet Isaiah is credited with the earliest inklings of what will come to be known as apocalyptic writing. Isaiah writes about the rending of the heavens, asking God to tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains will quake, the fires will kindle, and the nations might tremble. This is no meek and mild baby Jesus that the prophet is calling to earth. This is that final day, end of the world, apocalyptic Jesus. That Isaiah points to. Isaiah does more than simply point toward an apocalyptic Messiah. He invites him to come down from the heavens to earth. Isaiah knows that he is in the second act of God's salvific work. He does not yet realize how many acts there will be, but he does know that there is at least one more yet to come. He recognizes that the people of Israel have fallen short in their relationship with God, and he desires God's presence as potentially unpleasant as it might be in order for them to find redemption. He sees himself and his people as clay, and God as the potter, and he implores God not to be angry with us even though we deserve it in our iniquity since we are the work of God's hand. Isaiah lives into this second act life, a life which yearns for God and speaks of hope and possibility to anyone who might listen. In the Gospel of Mark this morning, we hear Jesus tell us, In those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and the Son of Man will be coming in clouds with power and great glory. We might point to earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and natural disasters and say that at times these are the signs that the end is near. And though that seems a reasonable explanation, I wonder if we do not misconstrue those times. We know when an eclipse is about to happen. We know the times of the year when the stars cascade from the heavens, and Jesus tells us about that day or hour. No one knows, only the Father. Keep alert. Believing that we are living in the end times in Act 5 is the second mistake that we make. In truth, we live in act four, the church. But our belief that we live in this end time act five drama overemphasizes our role in God's play. We place ourselves at the center of the story. We make ourselves the priority and assume that nuclear weapons and climate change are at the end of the story. Maybe that's true, but maybe it's not. No one knows the end of the story except God. By living in Act 5, we paralyze ourselves and the world with our fears, the fears that we perpetuate, the fears that we put on to the world. We circle our wagons. We become more concerned with the individual and our own tribes and less Concerned with perspectives that encourage creativity, courage, even mystery. The church becomes a place of rigidity, more concerned with right answers than good relationships, a faith built on right belief rather than trusting in God. To believe we are living in end times supports the weaponizing of scripture and the judgment and condemnation of our fellow human beings, not to mention the rest of creation. None of us are running for our lives (coughs) through desert terrain. (coughs) None of us are fighting off wild, black-leathered, spike-collared, mohawk-wearing motorcycle gangs with Mad Max. We don't live in one of 12 districts in which our children are subject to a reaping each year to compete in the Hunger Games. The zombie apocalypse has not started yet, and California has yet to fall into the ocean. As thrilling as it might be to believe that the end is near, there is no evidence, no proof. We aren't living in the end times until we are living in the end times. We would do much better to concern ourselves with life in the fourth act, the life that Jesus calls us to, the life and the work, of the church. Living as a Christian may not be as glitzy as being left behind, but if we can orient ourselves to our position in time, as Isaiah did, we might discover purpose and hope and meaning and peace that far exceeds a surface level excitement of the sky that might be falling. In Act 4, we get to nurture a relationship with Christ that nurtures our Christian witness. Jesus told his disciples to make Christians a people by baptizing them, sharing the good news of loving God and neighbor, breaking bread in remembrance of him. It may have been 2,000 years ago, but what if, in the great scheme of history, the irony is that we are closer to the early church than we could ever possibly be to the end time? What if we still are the early church, working out exactly what Jesus meant about relationships over rules and love versus judgment If we act like we are living in Act 5, in the end time, then we allow fear to drive our beliefs and our choices, and we miss out on the joy, the opportunity, and the creative nature that is the church. Most of all, we miss out on nurturing our relationship with the one who shapes us as the work of his hands, the Father, in which we are the clay, and he is the potter. That is the life that we are invited to by Jesus' first coming, even as we await his second coming. Advent is the season of preparation. We prepare to receive Christ in our hearts as a baby born in a manger, And at the same time, we prepare for the second coming of this Prince of Peace and King of Kings. But we cannot know the hour or the day, even as we look in anticipation to the coming of his presence in the clouds. We live in act four And with anticipation, we look toward the apocalypse, toward the perfection of all of this world. But not yet. Not yet.